You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. The first subject that I want to touch has to do with whether or not the Palestinian society is supports genocide. I don't know of any other society that you can ask this question about, but based upon the way the Palestinians are acting, you wonder, do they support genocide? They say they want to kill all the Jews. That sounds like they support genocide. It turns out polls were taken of residents of Gaza uh, last month after the attack at the end of October. It turns out the uh, Palestinians not only support Hamas, but is proud of its actions in killing Jews. It turns out there's an organization, I don't know who they are, but apparently they're a legitimate organization called World, the Arab World for Research and Development. And they did a poll they polled close to uh, 700 Palestinian adults in the southern Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Obviously, they couldn't do any uh, polling in the northern Gaza Strip because it's under attack by Israel. Turns out that 75% of Palestinians expressed varying degrees of support for the attack in October. Close to 60% saying they were extremely supportive, and uh, 15% were against the attack, while the remaining respondents were either unsure or did not provide a response. Now, according to the Arab World for Research and Development, the poll sample includes all socioeconomic groups, including equal, equal representation of adult men and women, and is proportionally distributed across the West Bank and Gaza. Now, notably, the levels of support appeared consistent across gender lines. In other words, 75% of both men and women express support for the event including raping women and killing babies. Moreover, 98% of the respondents said they felt prouder of their identity as Palestinians after October 7th. In other words, they're very proud of beheading Israelis and kidnapping innocent civilians. The, uh, it turns out the civilians in Gaza, including people in civilian clothes, many of them unarmed, unarmed, took part in the events of October 7th, both in terms of looting and at least some of the violence, according to multiple pieces of evidence that have emerged since the massacre. It turns out that a lot of the uh, terrorists were killed, and they had been taking photos and taking movies of what they were doing, and now they're in the hands of Israel. So uh, how many uh, participated, the exact number unknown, hard to determine. Since Hamas is a terrorist organization, not all of its operas are in uniform. 
videos and photographs, including pictures published by Reuters, Shudders was taken and kibbutz Ba'eri, uh, and um, the uh, it shows Palestinian civilians accompanied by Hamas terrorists flooding the community. They engaged in widespread looting, seizing whatever they could, while the terrorists carried out a brutal assault on the residents. In other words, the terrorists were busy killing Jews and their uh, friends from the Gaza Strip were busy looting. The one clip, believe it or not, shows more than 10 pickup trucks carrying Hamas, Hamas terrorists arriving at Kibbutz Be'eri alongside dozens of civilians, some armed, who also came on motorcycles and bikes. Now, other reports from the area show civilians kidnapping Israelis and taking them into Gaza to serve as hostages us. And a, a, a magazine called Business Insider includes a photo of an unarmed civilian man riding in a looted golf cart that transported 85-year-old Holocaust survivor Yakadar into Gaza. She, by the way, was recently released as part of the hostage deal. The, uh, the uh, Israel's chief military spokesman, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, said in a briefing last week, that they were being held by the Arab Palestinians. Some of the people that you would see in the picture were being held, there, but they're being held by a Palestinian faction other than Hamas. There is more than one terrorist group active in Gaza. According to the Arabic spokesman for the Israeli army, it's unclear whether some people where they some people are and what state they are. The uh, so if elections happen tomorrow, it appears the Palestinians will likely re-elect Hamas in Gaza. The um, so Hamas received a 76 percent approval rating in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, where voters opposed the Palestinian Authority. Keep in mind that the Palestinian Authority is not well liked in the areas under the Palestinian control. They prefer Hamas. The United States hopes that the Palestinian Authority will one day rule Gaza, which of course makes no sense. The, uh, when they check people in Gaza, what do they think of the Palestinian Authority? They got a 10% positive rating. 80% 87% of the respondents viewed the Palestinian Authority negatively. In contrast, the terrorist organization Palestinian Islamic Jihad received 93% approval rating in the West Bank and 72% approval rating in Gaza. The Al-Qassam Brigades, which is the terror arm of Hamas, got 95% approval in the West Bank, 78% approval in Gaza. The Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, which is the military wing of Fatah, received 88% in the West Bank and 70% in Gaza. 
Even Hezbollah in Lebanon had a 45% approval rating in the West Bank and Gaza. All this, as I said, these numbers are from the Arab world for research and development. Now, these statistics oppose the ratings given to the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Israel. The, uh, the, uh, the Palestinian respondents awarded the uh, U.S., United Kingdom, and Israel a 98 to 99% disapproval rating. When asked about their pre preference for governing Gaza, 75% of the respondents in the West Bank and 68% in Gaza expressed a desire for a national unity government comprising various Islamic groups, including, of course, <coughs> including Hamas. So the terror groups get a very high level of approval. Essentially, all this means is that the majority of people living in these areas, Gaza, the West Bank, being uh, prefer being governed by terrorists. That's what the numbers show. The Palestinians do not believe that the October 7th massacre was to free them or obtain a Palestinian state, as Western media would like us to think. According to the poll, less than a third of people in Gaza and the West Bank, and only 25% in Gaza even believe that the war that was started on October 7th was to free Palestine. Most people believed it was stopped the violations of Aqsa, meaning to stop Jews from praying on the Temple Mount. When asked if they support a two-state solution, only 17% 17 17 of respondents said yes, while 75% said they want a Palestinian state from the river to the sea. So when world leaders and international media say that Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people, the polls taken by this Palestinian organization show otherwise. Peaceful Palestinians, at least when it comes to the relation with Israel and the Jews, are few and far between. What is happening is a genocidal desire to kill Jews has fast become normalized among the Palestinian population. These are what the numbers show, and these numbers should be given, uh, they should be better known, particularly by the American American Congress, who have to make decisions about what, how, supporting Israel against the Palestinians. So, so support for genocide is becoming the norm for Palestinians. These are the facts, unfortunately, on the ground. And we have to live with them and act accordingly. Now I want to change the subject, something which I think that the listeners will find interesting. The, uh, the Chancellor of uh, Germany, Olaf Scholz, said he was ashamed and outraged at a recent wave of anti-Semitic incidents in Germany 
and he said that he would not tolerate such anti-Jewish hatred. He said this as he marked the 85th anniversary of what's known as Kristallnacht. It was a pogrom of Jews uh, under, uh, in 1938 under the Nazis. And Schultz was speaking at a ceremony at a Berlin, at a Berlin synagogue uh, to mark Kristallnacht. The synagogue was among 1,000 that were damaged or destroyed across Germany and Austria by Nazi mobs during what's called the Night of Broken Glass, Kristallnacht, in November 1938. At least 91 Jews were murdered. Almost 7,500 Jewish businesses were ransacked and 30,000 Jewish men and boys arrested during the assaults which preceded the Holocaust, in which, this, as we know, 6 million Jews were killed. So here we have the Chancellor of, of uh, Germany now essentially trying to make amends. Uh, by the way, um, the synagogue where Schultz was speaking was also attacked with Molotov cocktails in a surge of anti-Semitic incidents that happened since October 7th. So there's still active anti-Semitism in Germany. It turns out that there's been a um, something like a 240% increase in anti-Semitic uh, incidents in Germany since uh, last year. And so Schultz, the, the uh, chancellor, said, and I quote, every form of anti-Semitism poisons our society. And at the ceremony, Schultz was wearing a kippah, and he said, we will not tolerate anti-Semitism. Now, the truth of the matter is, incidents of anti-Semitism have surged all over the place, since the outbreak of the, of the war in the uh, last month. So it's caused particular soul-searching in Germany, which has pretty much provided itself on its culture of remembering its dark past and drawing from it a historic duty to fight anti-Jewish hate. In other words, the Germans have a bad conscience about what they did uh, 80 years ago, and are doing officially all they can to make up for it. So uh, they are worried about uh, rising anti-Semitism in Germany, and the uh, economy minister there warned that Germans would have to answer for anti-Semitism in court. Well, anyone who was not uh, German risked their residency st status. In other words, there are a lot of far foreigners in uh, who have come to work in Germany, and uh, what he essentially saying is, if any of these foreigners are caught with any kind of anti-Semitic act, they're, they're going to get thrown out of the country. The, they just passed new citizenship rules in Germany, and make it clear that anyone who is anti-Semitic cannot receive German citizenship. That's very interesting. The, uh, the uh, teaching about Germany's historic responsibility for the Holocaust is particularly important as the generation who experienced it are pretty much no longer around.
And uh, so Germany has a problem. They don't want anti-Semitism, and they're very much afraid a lot of these foreign workers might bring it in. Germany is, is a major destination for immigrants, and many immigrants have not learned about the Holocaust in, the, in their countries of origin. Uh, and a lot of them come from North Africa, from the Middle East. Either they didn't learn about the Holocaust, or they learned about it differently also. The, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, there are more than 5 million Muslim citizens in Germany today. They could turn out to be a real problem. Anyhow, Schultz said that Israel has a right to defend itself against Hamas. He said he reiterated his government's commitment to do anything it can to ensure the release of the innocent civilians taken hostage. And now, now, and along the same lines, there's an article in the paper that due to a surge in anti-Semitic incidents in Germany, the Berlin Jewish community has decided to conceal the full names of individuals celebrating their bar and bat mitzvah. This is really mind-boggling. The, uh, there's a, the official monthly publication of the Berlin Jewish community is called the Jüdische Berlin. The privacy um, measure limits Disclosure of names, only the first name and the initial of the last name for both 12-year-old girls and 13-year-old boys at their bar and bat mitzvah ceremonies. This, and this practice has been extended to include the abbreviated first names of older members marking their birthdays. For example, the November edition of Yiddish Berlin, the Jewish newspaper, contained an editor's note addressing the community members, and he said, in light of the current anti-Israel and anti-Jewish incidents, including those in Berlin, we are currently publishing only the first names and the last name initials are children celebrating birthdays and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. The decision aims to prevent any potential harm or endangerment to our community members. So, for example, they had a list of names, and they said the bar, they're having the bar mitzvah, bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs of Rebecca S., Constantine K., Judea D., Daniel B., and Leah H. So, uh, this uh, Yudish, Yudish Berlin, which is their newspaper, was established about 25 years ago, and uh, it's under the preview of the Board of Directors of the Board of Representatives of the Jewish Huge Community. So, uh, so it turns out they don't want to mention the name of Jewish kids because they're afraid something will happen. So they're, they're listing them kids just by the initials, the first name, okay, the initial of the family. And the Jews who <coughs> read the paper are supposed to know who these kids are so they can come attend the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs. I think that is really outrageous that we reach that situation. So although the German government is trying to make up for what happened 80 years ago, turns out there's some part of the population of Germany that simply has a different opinion. So only time will tell what's going to happen. I'll be back after the break.
Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to say a few things about American Jews and American universities based on a number of uh, articles I've read this week that are very different than what's been written about or even mentioned in the past about American Jews and the big donations that they give to American universities. So it apparently, it seems, that American Jewish leaders were pretty much caught off guard by a dangerous situation in the universities that apparently has been bubbling beneath the surface that they've been ignoring for a long time or that they simply were unaware of. The, um, the, the question you can ask has to do with the rising anti-Semitism on the campuses. Uh, I, I include, by the way, I, I may have mentioned this week before, one of the worst campuses for active uh, anti-Semitism is the University of Pennsylvania, which is my own alma mater. At any rate, the question you have to ask yourselves is, could anything not have been done uh, to prevent this rise of anti-Semitism on the campuses? Could it have been averted? Do American Jewish leaders have uh, to facilitate money, which is going to causes that have essentially undermined the safety of Jewish students? The, um, the uh, time has come for Jewish federations and Hillel groups, and the anti, even the Anti-Defamation League in particular, they have to reconsider the priorities, their programming, and the alliances which they make. The spotlight is on American Jewish and college and university campuses where protests and threats have become outright anti-Semitic and they have become dangerous places for Jews. The anti-Semitism is at an all-time high in America, apparently also in Britain, but particularly in published areas. So as a consequence of this new reality, which is unpleasant, a large and growing number of Jewish donors to major colleges are starting to withhold their financial support from, uh, from institutions from which either they graduated or they intend to send their own children and their own grandchildren. To put, to put it mildly, investments in major American universities have turned sour. The idea of creating a legacy for their children 
has become a bad investment as the very institutions they funded are not welcoming Jews, nor are they safe for Jews. So what's happening is that people, Jews, are withdrawing funding from these organizations that are refusing to condemn what's the crime that happened here, of what Hamas did. And so it turns out, for example, I'll give you a couple of examples which I saw. A, a fellow named Leslie Wexler, who's the billionaire founder of something called Limited Brands, he severed his ties with Harvard. And uh, another guy uh, named Henry Suyeka has quit the board of Columbia Universities because 100 professors of Columbia signed a letter in defense of students defending Hamas. A, an, an alumnus of Harvard um, a, a called upon his alma mater, Harvard, to publish the list of students who signed a letter stating the Israeli regime is entirely responsible for all the unfolding violence. And this guy, whose name is Ackman, a millionaire, billionaire, explained, I don't want any supporters of terrorism in our company. In other words, he wants to know whose people are who signed these anti-Israel letters to make sure that if they come to his company looking for work, they are not going to find work. So what is counting their losses, these generous philanthropists and successful businessmen are rethinking their investments institution that no longer represent their ideals and are no longer safe for Jews and uh, they, and they want to know who the students are who are anti-Israel because they make sure they wanna, don't want to hire them. Even if investing in American universities were not a bad investment, the question is whether it's a smart investment. Because the question is, do the universities even need the money? American donors have started to ask these questions. It's heartening to see people rethinking donations. There are some facts to consider, and I found this really interesting, having graduated from an Ivy League college myself. There are 70, in America, there are 79 private colleges and universities with endowment funds over $1 billion. For example, Harvard has endowments of $49 billion. There are 50 public colleges and universities with endowment funds of over $1 billion. Uh, University of Texas leads this group with $42 billion. Analyzing in another way, there are 20 universities with endowments of more than $1 million per student. These institutions, at least 150 of them, earn more on their interest income from their accounts than most people earn in a lifetime. They have fund managers earning tens of millions of dollars a year. Universities today in America are big business. 
Their endowments far exceed the budgets of some developing countries and of entire government offices that a developed nations have like Israel. Now, there's no doubt the universities do good work, but that is not a sufficient criterion for supporting them financially. There are such big businesses that it's even hard to comprehend how much do such donations are tax deductible. When you give money to a university, you're essentially giving to a business. So in light of what's happening on the American campuses, that it's time to consider what one's philanthropic priorities and investments are and what they ought to be. It would seem to me that this huge amount of money that they've been giving to universities would do a lot good if it was given to various places in Israel. So there's no doubt that American Jews have to rethink what what they really want to do. Do they want to fund institutions at any level? The uh, it's fallen to the where Jewish life is threatened. There are violent assaults on Jews. And it could well be that these guys who are given to the universities won't be able to send their own children and grandchildren into these schools because they won't be safe. Is it in the endowment of chairs and research that have been kidnapped by violent extremism? So if you're going to invest, you should invest in Jewish life, invest in Israel, in the future of the Jewish people and invest through those organizations that are most effective and efficient users of the dollars that you have. The universities no longer need them. It's interesting. Uh, along these same lines, uh, the, um, the, the Jewish organizations, I'm not talking about the universities, I'm talking about the Jewish um Jewish organization. Now, when you talk about the Jewish federations, you talk about the Hillel Foundation, you talk about the Anti-Defamation League, they must reconsider their priorities, they must reconsider their programming, and they must reconsider who they alliance with. So the, 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 a lot of American Jews, a lot of American organizations gave money to Black Lives Matter, to colleges and universities. Some even gave money to charities that once helped Jewish immigrants, like HIAS, and now it facilitates the integration of immigrants who are not Jewish and will make American policies less pro-Israel over time and the latest seeds for anti-Semitism. When I was a kid, HIAS, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, helped only Jews. Today, it helps very few, if any, Jews. It gives to all these immigrants, some of, some of them who make policy eventually that are anti-Israel. So, also, polls are showing support for Hamas and opposition to Israel among especially young American adults. Prior to what happened on October 7th, it was unimaginable that in America there would be so much support for Hamas and that Jewish power in the U.S. could be so diminished. 
every Jewish organization in the United States must refocus and reconsider what it is trying to accomplish with the money it gets primarily from American Jews. It's interesting, it's pointed out, they had this march for Israel in Washington back a couple weeks ago, and everybody came with different motives. Some came because of Israel, and, uh, they, and they wanted just to support Israel. Some became because of the anti-Semitism that's, uh, that's go going. Some be because, came because of the complicity of university administrations with Hamas supporters and uh, the failure to protect Jewish students on the campus. No one could have imagined the full extent of anti-Semitism that existed in the United States and now has become uncovered. Organizations that fight anti-Semitism and the organizations of the Conference of Presidents major Jewish organizations must acknowledge they did something wrong uh, if unmasked anti-Semitism has gotten this bad. We knew, everybody knew, that the governments Qatar and Saudi Arabia were pouring tons of money into American universities, yet, like the missiles fired from Gaza, the, we thought the problem would just go away. Meanwhile, millions of young minds have been corrupted in these universities and, and it's not good. In America now, they must may wage a war against anti-Semitism. Because it could be, well be that this window of opportunity to follow the, what happened on October 7th might be closing. Now, it's just like Israel must destroy Hamas. Uh, while, while we have support in the United States, at the same time, American Jewish organizations must act before the tide turns against them. It's interesting. There are all kind of groups, uh, Jewish groups, that didn't get along with each other. They should abandon whatever their platforms were and be united against a common foe. There's no doubt that American Jews must unite in an effort to turn out these horrible, uh, what turned out to be a horrible failure into success, because otherwise American Jews will not have a future in the United States. If the universities are turning out people who are anti-Semitic, there is a big problem. The bottom line is that the financial resources of American Jews must be go to help the future of the Jewish people. That they want to continue funding institutions in which debate and dialogue have fallen hostage to threats to Jewish life. And uh, at these schools with their children, their grandchildren won't be welcome. The, uh, the Jewish money go, must go toward the Jewish future. So the American Jews have to rethink 
where they're spending their money. And by the way, since I'm talking about what Jews have to do against anti-Semitism, there was a, uh, an article in the paper the other day that uh, in England, in London uh, metropolitan area, there was they found the police report has been a one thirteen hundred and fifty percent increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes. So what happened was last week on Sunday, uh, Jews marched through London and then identifying themselves as Jews and and um, against the violence there. The um, there were over a hundred and five thousand people here in the march there, according to police, uh, guarded by nearly one thousand police officers. What is heartening is there is tremendous support from non-Jewish people. The, um, they have an uh, organization called the Campaign Against Anti-Semitism. They planned this march of all kinds of community groups, and um, they chose particular places in London to do the marches because uh, they have historic influence. If you don't know British history, uh, uh, I I didn't realize this. They marched um, uh, uh, in a place um, uh, called uh, Cable Street, I guess it's called. The, uh, back in 1936, there was a battle between the British Union of Fascists, and uh, they had, uh, it was headed by a guy named Osley Mo- Oswald Mosley, and he had 15,000 black shirts, Nazi types, and they fought, They were fought off by the citizens of East London. So, um, although, by the way, there was tremendous atten- attendance at the Jewish uh, rally in London this week, the Jewish BBC employees uh, are told that the, the event is controversial, and said its staff should not attend. So that's how BBC treats anti-Semitism. So there are unprecedented levels of anti-Semitism in the United Kingdom. And uh, one day before the march, London's Metropolitan Police arrested a number of pro-Palestinian protesters that had displayed Nazi symbols. And... uh, so uh, the, uh, the this is this anti-Semitism is rising in London. The uh, the it, it's a bad. Uh, they did a survey of Amer- of uh, British Jews and they found that a total of sixty nine percent of British Jews said they were currently less inclined to show visible signs of their Judaism. Half of British Jews have considered leaving. The United Kingdom due to anti-Semitism since October 7th. More than six in ten British Jews have either personally experienced or witnessed an anti-Semitic incident since October October 17th. (coughs) Only 16% of British Jews believe that the police treat anti-Semitic hate crimes or other forms of hate crimes. And 
A large majority, 90% of British Jews, say they would avoid traveling to a city center if a major anti-Israel demonstration was taking place there. So the sad news is that Jews do not feel safe in London. That uh, That is very sad, really true. And that's these are the facts on the ground. So this is the information which came as a rather shocking to me, but it's in the papers and it has to be reported. It doesn't get big headlines even here in Israel, but I think people should know about them. Uh, I'll be back after the break. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. You're back with Jay Shapiro. The, uh, the American Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is talking about what he calls a revitalized Palestinian authority. Uh, what does that really mean? I don't know what it means, quite honestly. And do, do I think that Secretary of State Blinken knows what it means either? A revitalized Palestinian authority. And yet, with this meaningless statement, has become the plan that the United States of America is thinking about for what they call the day after in Gaza and the West Bank, a revitalized Palestinian authority. uh, That would imply that the Palestinian authority should be put in charge of the area of Gaza after Hamas is defeated. Blinken did mention new and free elections and a free and independent press within the Palestinian Authority. He used those words. The Palestinian Authority would have free election and a free press. So that means putting the Palestinian Authority back in charge of the Gaza Strip in which they were kicked out of 20 years ago uh, by uh, Hamas. But the Palestinian Authority has not shown any signs of democracy for the past 30 years. Now, while the U.S., accompanied by the international community, is comes up with uh, catchy uh, solutions, The application and practical translation into reality of these proposals are simply unrealistic. We can learn that from recent history. 
1994, where right after the Oslo Agreements, which was in 1993, so within the first year after the Oslo Agreements, the uh, they came up with the Cairo Agreement, which was called the Gaza-Jericho Agreement. The purpose of that agreement was to establish the Palestinian Authority, which did not exist until that time. And they would uh, govern Jericho and other Palestinian enclaves in Gaza and the so-called West Bank, which we call Judea and Samaria. The plan at that time, 1994, was to create a new Palestinian government body and, and to sideline the old leadership. Now, who was the old leadership? The old leadership was Yasser Arafat. Now, instead, in Tunis, through Yasser Arafat's political foresight, the Palestinian Central Council made the Palestinian Authority accountable to the Palestinian Executive Committee. But the Palestinian Executive Committee was essentially Yasser Arafat. In other words, Arafat became the leader of the new Palestinian Authority. So the new Palestinian Authority was under terrorist leadership. Now, if you come back to today, we have the following. Our Prime Minister has made it very clear that the Palestinian Authority cannot be part of rebuilding Gaza after this war is over. That means not just the Palestinian Authority, but it means Abbas. The statements of the Prime Minister are very explicit, and we can understand what he means. He's maintained over and over again, there isn't going to be in Gaza a civilian authority that teaches its children to hate Israel and to destroy Israel and to kill Jews. We can't have in Gaza an authority that pays families of terrorists, and we can't be an authority that the person who is handing it isn't condemning the massacre that occurred on October 7th. There needs to be something different. That is what Netanyahu is saying, and obviously he's speaking about Abbas and the Palestinian Authority. In other words, our, our Prime Minister Netanyahu has made it clear that when this is over, the fighting now in Gaza, and hopefully it will be over soon, Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority cannot be brought in to govern it. That is what Israel's point of view is. Who will govern? I don't know. Nobody knows, actually. But uh, it can't be the Palestinian Authority. As for free elections, they are nothing more than a Western idea that the Palestinians have no idea what it means. 
The people in the West, the leadership in the West believes that they can just snap their fingers and suddenly there will be a democracy in Gaza. And the West is led by the United States. They cannot understand that democracy is not just about elections. And even if it were at this date, it is impossible to actualize elections in the Gaza area after this war is over. We've, we know from history, and we know from recent history, on Wednesday, January 25th, 2006, that's quite a long time ago, Palestinian legislative elections were held in the Palestinian Authority, including Gaza. Out of the 132 seats in the Palestinian legislature, Hamas won 74 and Fatah won 45. In other words, when they had an election, and let's assume for a moment it was a free election, Fatah won the overwhelming majority. Now, elections are certainly important, but understanding democracy and freedom are what is essential to building blocks leading to elections. Given the situation in Gaza back in 2005 and the situation today, that if there were an election, there is no doubt that Palestinians would overwhelmingly cast their ballots for Hamas, the terror group that is now at war with Israel. One of the most important reasons that Israel is now in a war with Hamas is has to do with that free popular election back in 2006. There was a basic mistake. Non-democratic parties must not be permitted to run for office in any kind of democratic society. And the reason is simple. If they win, they will suspend democracy. In other words, if a non-democratic party wins an election democratically, the first thing they will do is eliminate the democracy. And we know this. How, how do we know this? We know this from an example that we paid a lot because of. That is, that is what happened in 1933 in Germany. Adolf Hitler was democratically elected in Germany in 1933. Almost immediately after assuming to visit the position of German Chancellor, Hitler passed the Enabling Act. Hitler ended democracy only a few years after Germany had become a democracy, and he did it within a short time after being elected, even though his party itself, the Nazi party, was a minority. But they made a coalition and they were able to do away with German democracy. Now, many democracies prevent anti-democratic parties from standing for elections. Israel is that way, 
because here in Israel, racist parties are banned from running in elections. That is why, by the way, that the Kahana, Rabbi Mayor Kahana's party, was not allowed to run an election. It was the court decided that it was a racist party and no longer run in elections. For obvious reasons, Germany has very strict laws as today because they learned what happened almost a hundred years ago. Germany is a very strict democracy today based on its terrible experience of the last century. However, in 2006, Hamas should never have been permitted to run. Neither the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine won three seats in that election back in 2006, but never, they never should have been allowed to run because democracy must defend itself, especially in new environments. And Gaza, after the, this war is over, is going to be a very new environment for democracy. Dictators reject elections. The Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, was elected in January 2006 for the first and the last time. It's been almost 18 years, and Abbas has repeatedly delayed elections. He even removed a duly elected Hamas prime minister and stole his own. He could not permit Hamas to control the Palestinian parliament. While Hamas should never have been able to run in the first place, Abbas himself ended democracy. So when the uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken uses the expression a revitalized Palestinian authority, uh, what does he really mean? It would mean, first of all, that none of the people who now run the Palestinian Authority can be allowed to come up for election. They represent the anti-democratic regime of the Palestinian Authority. There is no democratic group within the Palestinian population. So, can you have a free election? Yes, you can have a free election, but only if the people are taught about equal protection under law, minority rights, independent judiciary, and all the things that make up a democracy. If the people have no knowledge of what those things are, you cannot have a democracy. Only when those running for office believe in the concept of free elections and all the other democratic institutions, can such an election bring a democratic government into power? This will require education and strong and willing uh, education so that true democracy can happen. Right now, the pool of Palestinian candidates who believe in democracy is simply non-existent. So therefore, when the American Secretary of State Blinken says a revitalized Palestinian authority 
can take over, he has absolutely no idea that what he's talking about. It will require something to be done after this war is over to educate the Palestinian people to some form of democracy which they have no history of. And I, I don't even know if the Palestinian Authority today has in its vocabulary those words that describe what a democracy really is. So I don't know what's, what's going to happen if the day after. Nobody knows what's going to happen the day after. But a democracy is simply not going to become uh, possible on the day after. If anything, it's going to take a long time to have any kind of democratic Palestinian government. Now, I just want to say a quick uh, few words about that, a that age-old hate, anti-Semitism, but in particular, uh, in uh, terms of what's happening on the colleges, in the United States in particular. According to a recent study uh, conducted by the Institute for the Study of Global Anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic incidents in U.S. colleges and universities have gone up more than 300% since the beginning of October. In other words, since the war started here. So the young minds on university campuses are being steeped in a lot of ideas that are pretty much anti-human, I think, and anti, in particular, anti-American. Now, it's not the first time the political extremes have converged. Jew hatred is never isolated. Jews have long been what we call the canary in the coal mine. They're the first ones to be attacked and the last to be spared. The permeation of anti-Semitism in any society means that society is diseased and disillusioned. And that includes university administrators and faculty. Now, we may be shocked by the degree of Jew hatred, but it's not surprising that the leaders of today and tomorrow are simultaneously spewing anti-Semitism while at the same time disparaging Western civilization. As an example, at Ohio State University and other American campuses, the student organization called Students for Justice in Palestine and their supporters routinely blast anti-Semitic chants they disturb public peace, and in, even in university administrative offices and libraries. Instead of disciplining these de demonstrators, Ohio State upholds training to decolonize mental health from Western frameworks in the ironic pursuit of healing and liberation. So. At the last year at George Washington University, and one of the professors who teaches psychoanalysis from what they call an anti-oppressive and decolonial perspective, per perpetually harassed Jewish Israeli students 
simply for being born in Israel. Initial complaints were unmet at George Washington University, resulting in a Jewish student advocacy group filing a Title, a title VI complaint against the university. So uh, this is what's happening on campuses in the United States. So the, the universities, which are training the future leaders of the United States, uh, are, are simply doing a job that's not going to be good for Western civilization. They, uh, they, they divided the world into the oppressor and the oppressed, and the Jews are among the oppressors. It's interesting uh, that, uh, that less than 100 years after the Holocaust, the Jews are being painted in universities in the United States as the oppressor. Something is very, very uh, wrong. And essentially what's happening is the present generation in the United States in particular, is standing at a crossroads. One direction means hate, divisiveness, and insecure leadership, and the alternative road, higher, which is, is, is more difficult, which holds the potential for revival of common DC, decency, means that they have to change what's happening in the American universities Otherwise, what's happened, we see now, what's happening with American campuses cannot be good for the future of Western democracy, which means, in particular, the United States is the leader of the West. And if universities in the United States are going to produce what we see they're producing now, the West is in great difficulty. I'll be back after the break. Be smart. Listen to Israel News Talk Radio in the background while you work and get the latest news and commentary from Israel. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. You're back with Jay Shapiro, and I want to say a few more words about our struggle against Hamas. The most glaring difference between Israel and Hamas can be seen in the fundamental belief in the sanctity of life, which is what Israel believes in, and the glorification of death, which is what Hamas believes in. The value, the intrinsic value that the Jewish people place on life since, since the Jews exist, the intrinsic value that we place on life comes at a high cost. Because you can see this through the hostage negotiations that took place just recently. Uh, while this has been a matter of significant public and political discussion, and Israel's leadership has demonstrated to it that it values life above anything. As part of the negotiations, Israel released Palestinian prisoners in exchange for Israeli hostages who were all innocent civilians 
ranging from children to the elderly, some suffering from illness, while the, uh, the Palestinians released by Israel were all terrorists in Israeli jails who had been there because of terror terrorism. So there is obviously no moral equivalency between a baby taken from her cradle and kept underground who was traded for a convicted terrorist who most certainly continued spreading violence against Israeli civilians. Hamas and their followers continued to praise the actions of violence at the hands of their returned prisoner, while Israeli hostages are babies and grandparents and young people who did nothing else other than go to a party to celebrate life, and they were stolen away into Gaza. The war cabinet here in Israel decided that there was no question that the return of Israeli hostages was a top priority alongside the other priority of total elimination of Hamas. Now, they, they stopped fighting despite the strategic blow to the military campaign, and, uh, to, and they stopped in order to exchange prisoners. The deal also enabled the supply of humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip for Palestinian civilians, something which I, by the way, was personally, personally questioned. It's one thing to stop fighting, it's another to feed the population of the enemy. Hamas will use this cease use the ceasefire and humanitarian aid provided by Israel to their own ends. Much of this humanitarian aid is supposed to help the civilian population is taken by Hamas to feed its own fighters. The uh, this is uh, the negative outcome of uh, temporary ceasefires with Hamas and the reappropriation of humanitarian aid has been proven time and time again not to be good. This happened previously, by the way. There was once something called Operation Protective Edge, another called Pillar of Defense, several years ago, as Hamas used the cover of the ceasefire as a means to regroup, import more weapons, and steal humanitarian supplies from their own terror tunnels. So Hamas certainly will take oil and medicine supplies and food to their base of operations as a means to outlast the resurgence of Israel's military operation. They have a mass maze of underground tunnels beneath the civilian populations which have taken years to build. So Israel has sacrificed its military advantage by allowing the, uh, the Hamas essentially to rebuild itself. So uh, it's unfortunate. The, the, our army, the IDF, is the strongest military power in this region, 
with undeniable defense and intelligent capabilities, even with a temporary ceasefire, the Israeli army has the capability and know-how needed to annihilate Hamas and really kill just about every terrorist commander until the threat of the brutal regime is eliminated at its roots. Every few days, we see in a newspaper the name of a uh, Hamas commander who's been killed. In other words, the Israeli army knows where they are, and it takes some time, but they're getting to them. Now, Israel's strength also as a result of its unity and, and national spirit this is most evidence uh, uh, in the statement, by the way, of the families of those who were not released. Obviously, they're in pain, and, they, and but they share in the joy of other, other children returning to their families. So although there's still a level of envy for the hostages who have been released, they know that Israel continues to push hard to secure the freedom of the remaining hostages. It is this collective unity, the overwhelming feeling that each hostage is part of its own family, which the Jewish people share with each other, and the understanding of the huge challenge that Israel is facing that will continue to be a source of strength. The release of Israeli hostages has generated a wave of emotion that has swept over the entire country. So, in other words, we have, you, you see there is a collective duality of pain and elation as those being released. So, obviously, we're overjoyed to see the release of those people, but our hearts continue to ache for the trauma that they endured and which others are still endure, enduring. So th these are extremely difficult times. The, the, by the way, throughout the, the, the releases, the, the Hamas attempt to portray an exaggerated concern for the hostages as there were uh, some of the elderly women who were released the Hamas uh, characters were wearing masks, held the hands of elderly women, and uh, it's pretty much a theater of the absurd. The, um, they, they tried to show a false sense of humanity. It's a, uh, it's a very difficult situation. The, uh, it's, it, it's funny, not funny, and, and not funny, haha. The, uh, these uh, Hamas uh, militants who were uh, releasing these Israeli uh, uh, Israelis uh, were wearing, carrying M16 rifles, and uh, in this neutral zone where they were handing over the, our people to the Red Cross. The very fact that they're wearing masks and carrying rifles shows who they are. They, they've made a mockery of human rights, and, and uh, but they also they, the media also fall for this kind of thing. This is more, this is just a performance that's at no level of acting 
to mask the horrors that took place in October 7th and and then and people are still being held. God knows what's happening to them. We are facing the true face of evil. So uh, it's a very difficult situation. We have to return to celebrate the return of each life, especially women and children, elderly. But we are, are a country that will always choose life over death, no matter the cost, which is obviously a clear contrast to the values of Hamas, who are praising the release of convicted terrorists. That's, who, that's what Israel is now releasing. But uh, if, even, if, even after all the hostages will hopefully be returned, Israel will never be able to celebrate after the tragic loss of life that's, life that's already taken place. Obviously, Israel cannot allow Hamas to remain in control of Gaza. Obviously. Who is going to replace them? I don't know. We can wipe out Hamas. Hamas will utilize the resource of time whenever we, they relieve uh, release prisoners the, uh, to rely on others like Qatar and the United States to put pressure on Israel to find a diplomatic solution. There cannot be a, di a diplomatic solution. Hamas must be destroyed. The uh, Hamas wants the world to force Israel into a, di a diplomatic solution which will allow them to continue to poison Palestinian society and in an attempt to upend any hope of peace and prosperity in the Middle East. It's been said by the experts that the reason that they did this raid on Israel when they did was because they saw Israel was, was making uh, agreements with other Arab countries, so they wanted to stop that. And that's why they attacked Israel when they did. The uh, So we are in the midst of a very trying time. The Israeli soldiers are forced to receive their, or to perform their military operations with a, uh, with a certain disadvantage because they stopped for the prisoner release. But obviously, the, the threat of Hamas terrorist regime must be eradicated forever. I uh, I don't like to keep repeating it, but something you you cannot listen to anybody saying that you have to sit down with Hamas and some and come to some kind of reasonable solution. There is no really uh, reasonable solution. Evil must be destroyed. Pure evil must be destroyed, and there is no moral uh, moral uh, equalness between Israel and Hamas. Hamas must be destroyed. What will happen afterwards? Who knows? It's still open, but I I I feel I must repeat this to the listeners. It's not the kind of war where you come in the end to some kind of compromise. There can be no compromise. We have to continue this struggle 
until Hamas is destroyed. And I want to repeat something that was said by our president, Herzog. Uh, there was a virtual conference, uh, I think it was last week, and our uh, president, Herzog, said, and I quote, The massacres of October 7th have brought memories of some of the darkest moments in history right into our present. The scope and horror of the atrocities are painfully familiar to our people, but the speed at which denial began to spread and Jewish suffering was dismissed exposed another painful truth. Anti-Semitism does not belong to some other time and place. Anti-Semitism is right here. In the wake of the massacre, many found ways to rationalize, contextualize, or even excuse themselves. This has always been the way about anti-Semitism. The reason may shift, but the bottom line is the same. The blame is always on the Jews. Corrupt ideologies often begin with the Jews as targets, but rarely ended with the Jews. So um, that is what our president said, and that is a fundamental truth. And we have to keep reminding ourselves the Jews are the canary in the coal mine. Starts with the Jews, and no, no one knows where it will end. When you see what's happening today on the in the United States on the campuses, and in the streets of the United States, I saw in the news the other day of this uh, of, of this crowd of, of Palestinian sympathizers who attacked a Jewish kosher kosher restaurant in Philadelphia, my old hometown. Absolutely shocking. Could not have imagined this even five years ago. That and the, the a few people I think were arrested, but the very fact that a mob supporting the Palestinians in a city, major city in the United States like Philadelphia, would come up, come out and attack a kosher restaurant. And by the way, these things are happening in other major American cities. So it's not just the Jewish problem. The Jews, as I've said, are the canary in the coal mine. That means Western democracy is in trouble. I want to close by saying something that has happened to Israeli society since this war began. Before the war, Israelis thought they had secured life, and they thought that after 75 years of independence, its physical security was pretty well ensured, and that now it could tackle all those other long, simmering, divisive internal questions about religion and state, about the separation of powers, which branch of government has the upper hand, about who is a patriot, who's a traitor, who's a parasite, about who and which part of the population is leading the country to ruin and who in which part of the population is leading it to prosperity. This is the kind of thing we're arguing about before this war began. Amid all this screaming, Hamas snuck in undetected and delivered a stinging blow. 
and that stinging blow served as a wake-up call. All of a sudden, all of the above, all the internal divisions melted away. In fact, the Jewish people, not only here in Israel, but around the world, came together in a way, a way not seen for decades. This was the one ray of light and the very black night that descended on us. Now, true, we still have our differences, but they amount to little in the face of those who want to attack us, to butcher, to rape, to plunder, carry. They don't care whether the victims are settlers or peace now activists, whether religious or secular, or what political party they belong to in Israel. Their goal is to kill Jews. So, for the better part of two months now, the nation realized that the shrill voices that divided the country have become silent. That for two months, the, the nation heard little from all the politicians. And that the attack by Hamas united Israel. How long this will last, I don't know. We can only hope that there's been a lesson in what's happening. The, 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 this catastrophe uh, was a lack of, uh, it was a combination of lack of preparedness for the army uh, and uh, the, uh, and in general, there were a lot of problems here in Israel all of which have become minor compared to the problem we are facing from Hamas. Hopefully, the unity that has been created will last after this is over. One can only hope that those fighting alongside each other will push back, push back against any words meant to sow discord afterwards. This war is a real wake-up call for Israel to better behave ourselves. Thanks for listening. Jay Shapiro, signing off.